Pot of gold. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a great show for you today. It is Saturday, August 28, 2021. Today our guest is Dr. Kim Patton, esteemed horticulturist from Washington State University. He has recently retired from a long career as extension professor. He found a little time in his busy schedule, so he sat down and rambled with us for a bit. And I hope you enjoy it. That's Be My Remedy by House of Say. I just feel like I needed a happy song. Get me in the zone. It's been a tough one this week. It's been a tough one. I've been super stressed. I'm getting ready to run hood to coast. This big relay race starts at the top of Mount Hood and goes all the way to the ocean. It's like 200 miles, it's insane. 12 person teams and I have to run three sections. It's not uh, it's not that bad, I've done it before, but it's grueling, it's hard, and it's kind of stressful just leading up to that, knowing that that's on the horizon. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it takes place over Friday, Saturday, so I have to miss a day of work, which means mixing my schedule around and having to rush a podcast and my real job and everything, so it's been stressful. On top of that, I thought I was getting sick last weekend. Started coughing up a little bit of blood, and that freaked me out. So I went to the doctor. Turns out I'm fine. I got a bloody nose, and it bled into my body. Anyway, I'm not dying. I'm healthy, and I'm gonna run. Hopefully this dry weather doesn't chap my sinuses anymore, you know? I got those chap sinuses. Bleeding. No good. I've been listening to podcasts again lately. It's fun. It feels good. It makes my brain tickle. I learn new stuff. It's always good to learn new stuff. But two of the shows I've been really into are, first of all, Lex Friedman podcast. Lex is a, he's a scientist. He's from MIT. And he's great. He's a Russian I think he immigrated to the United States as a kid, but he still maintains a little bit of that Russian charm. Uh, it's, It's a pretty good show, but this most recent episode, he talks about free will, which is a topic I like to think about, I like to discuss, and... It was a good podcast. Basically, he he sits there and asks this guy a bunch of questions that seems like he's trying to get at the point of, like, how do we create sentient robots? But, yeah, it was good. I always thought we had free will. It's something I didn't really ever challenge a lot, but I don't know. I've listened to a few podcasts that have made me reconsider that. I'm not so sure. There's a lot of things we do that are very context-driven, And I don't know, we might just be 
a phenomena that is expressed as a result of a bunch of interconnected factors and competing variables and our behavior is what comes out of all that. So I don't know. Another good one is called Huberman Lab Podcast. And that's Andrew Huberman. He's a Stanford neuroscientist, and his podcast is really good. He breaks down really complex topics about neuroscience and the brain and kind of some biochemistry stuff. It's good. I highly recommend it. And his most recent episode that I heard was about depression, and that was really good too. That's something I think about all the time, and it kind of made me challenge my view. I've been pretty convinced that, you know, I'm pretty squared away as far as that goes, but I don't know. Both these podcasts stood out to me because they made me challenge my view. I'm after listening, I'm, you know, I'm pretty convinced that free will is an illusion. And I also learned that depression may not go away, it may not disappear, it may just disguise itself and take on a new form. So I'm looking out for that. It has been a rough few weeks. I have been dealing with some depressive symptoms. I really don't like talking about it. it. Makes me uncomfortable. I feel like it's boring podcast content, self-indulgent almost. But I don't know. It feels like maybe it could help people, so I'm going to talk about it really quickly, but mostly just because if you're out there and you feel sad for no reason or you're you feel hopeless or if you're, I mean, maybe you do have a reason. Maybe maybe something triggered you and it's been six months and you're still feeling sad. It's still dragging you down. You're not alone. You're not alone at all. One in five people suffers from major depression. If you're in a room with 100 people, 20 of them are depressed or will be. And it sucks. So you're not alone. I know it always feels like you are. Even when you're not. Depression is insidious. It gets in your head and it changes the way you feel about yourself and about the world. And it really is a hard one to see through. I've been dealing with it for a long time. And I I can kind of see the signs. I know when it's coming and I know what to look for. And I know the lies that it tells me about who I am and what I'm doing. But it still gets me. Even when you know what's going on, it doesn't really negate the feelings of emptiness, hopelessness, sadness. Just got to wait. Just got to wait for it to go away. Just got to look for inspiration. And it will come. It will. It has for me. These last few days, this, this week really has been pretty good. I've had little bits of time where I'm like, well, what was I thinking? I'm fine. I'm not sad at all. And then it will come back really easily with something that doesn't make sense. It's not just sad either. I've been super irritable, just feeling like I'm overworked, paranoid, starting to just not thinking the way I like to think. So I need to just scale back, I think, take a little bit more time to rest, make sure I'm getting my sleep, make sure I'm eating healthy food talking to people. That's that's all you can do. Life is heavy. Sometimes it gets really heavy. And you just got to bear it and move through it. Yeah. But anyway, if you are dealing with depression, 
don't deal with it alone. Call somebody, talk to somebody. You are loved. I love you. Thank you for listening to my show. We're going to get through this. But enough of that sad shit. On with the show. I want to give a special shout out to Allison Brooks and Kelsey Barreto. Sorry about the fucking birds on the roof. Damn crows. Get out of here, you damn birds! My apologies. It's a professional podcast. We shouldn't be having this shit. Anyway, shout out to Allison Brooks. Shout out to Kelsey Barreto, my first two Patreon subscribers. I am super stoked about Patreon. I think it's going to be a really cool thing. It's going to be where you get all the best bonus content, exclusive episodes, everything like that. And it's just getting off the ground, but I'm excited about it. I think that's going to be a really cool spot, a place where the audience can connect and we can all create a little community. I really hesitated to do a Patreon. I I wasn't sure if I was ever going to do it, but I, I just had to eventually... This show doesn't cost me a ton of money, but it does cost a little bit. And it takes a lot of time away from my family, so I felt like I should probably come up with a way to have it support itself. There are really only two methods to do that. Either I run ads or I request a small subscription fee. And I honestly, the ad thing is tempting because they're actually kind of fun to make, but I don't want to have to be doing all the connection and networking with advertisers and then after that have to worry about what I say to please the advertisers and make sure I don't lose sponsors and all that is just nah I'd rather just make something that people want and then ask them to pay me a couple bucks for it and people who are happy to do that will do it the free episodes will still be free and that's not going to change they will always be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those free services. The free option will always still be there. But for the people who are willing to pay a couple bucks, you're going to get a little extra. You're going to get exclusive episodes that that aren't available to the public. You're going to get updates. You're going to get behind-the-scenes stuff. You're going to get the early release stuff. You're going to get everything. Basically, you're willing to pay, so I'm going to prioritize you as my audience. It's going to be great. I can't, I mean, I really can't wait. I think it's going to be an opportunity to really improve the show. So I'm looking forward to that. If you're interested in supporting the show or at gaining access to some of that exclusive content, head on over to patreon.com slash river. Okay, so my guest today is an esteemed horticulturist from Washington State University, Recently retired, he spent a long career, multiple decades, doing research on pollinators, cranberries, invasive species, and all kinds of stuff like that. He is the recipient of the William P. Steffen Lifetime Achievement Award, and he's a great guy. In 2005, he took a chance on a pimple-faced, moody teenager, and he hired him as a research assistant. Spoiler alert, that pimple-faced teenager was me. Dr. Patton came into my life at a time when his timing couldn't have been better. 
I was 15 years old. I had just spent three years working at a grocery store, hating it, super depressed. Actually, I was probably more depressed as a 15-year-old kid than I've been most of my life. It was a really hard time for me, and I was struggling just to figure out who I was. Kim Patton showed me a new way to be a man. I had, I had no other academic, like, smart people who take their value from what they do and not who they can beat up or just all that shit with toxic masculinity. He was one of the first people to kind of show me that that wasn't the only way. And I liked it. I had always been drawn to academia. I like knowledge and I like learning and I love the idea of an institution built just for those purposes. It's magic. I love that idea. And it always seemed like something I would probably just get to admire from afar. But when I started working at Washington State University as a research assistant, just the guy who carries a wheelbarrow, I'm just there to carry the heavy stuff. But it got my foot in the door, and it led to another job, which led to another job, which led to another job, which led to my career. Before I knew it, I had a decade of experience in a field that very few people have any experience in. And yeah, he basically gave me the ability to plug into this local community and make myself part of it, to provide value to my home and it really shaped who I became. So I have a huge gret of data. No, I have a huge debt of gratitude that I owe to Dr. Kim Patton. And I was so happy that he came on my show. It was a huge honor to have him here. It was a lot of fun. Okay, without further ado, please welcome the hero of Willapaw Bay, Dr. Kim Patton. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the matches, they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly, I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly, let's go. It could all be worse. I could be a hater like you. It could all be make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you. Chest now, say it with your chest I'm now. Young, I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. It's my time to run it out. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time to run it out. I'm young. I'm free. Can't nobody take Okay. Um, so we are recording. It is 4.14. We've got our kombuchas. We're off and running. Um, so we were just talking about retirement. And you have retired. It feels still feels recent, but how long has it been now? I have to think. It's been almost two years. Or maybe it's been, I think, 
a year and a half, I think. So right before the pandemic? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy timing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was good timing because I wouldn't have known what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like everybody kind of went home yeah. <laughs> during that time. I started, I was thinking about it while I was preparing for this episode, and I, I don't know much about your childhood or how you ended up here or like your backstory. So I, I would love to get a little of that information. My backstory. I was born um, and raised up in uh, Mammoth Lakes, California. Back okay. in the early 50s, my parents uh, built the first ski lodge up in uh, Mammoth Lakes. Yeah, I don't know if you know about Mammoth Lakes. It's a big... I don't know about Mammoth it's Lakes. It's a big ski area that's uh, reasonably close to L.A. Okay, it's so we're a, talking Southern California. Southern, yeah. It's sort of... I think little, Jeff Hilton just showed up okay. and started banging weights downstairs. Okay. I will be right back. All right. I'm so sorry. Sorry about that. No problem. Jeff's dad and I share a secret hiking spot that uh, we're not supposed to tell the world about. Oh, really? Yeah. He says, whatever you do, don't tell anyone about this spot. Well, where's the spot? <laughs> I'm so tempted to tell him just to piss him off. I love to hike. <laughs> Is it public property? It's just down the road. Oh, okay. I know of a, I know of a similar spot. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a great little running trail. Yeah. I actually talk about it all the time. <laughs> But it's this, just, so they know my spot. It's just a lovely little run up a hill and get your heart pumping fast. It's hard to find a good hill around here. Yeah. If you need one to train. Yeah. Yeah. You ever do the bridge run? No. No, I haven't. It's fun. I should sign up for it. It yeah. seems kind of, I don't know, pedestrian just walking, running on some That's ride. exactly what it is. I, I love trail running. And uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's just night and day. But it feels like that too. Yeah. It drags a little bit. Yeah. If you're used to a good trail run. But it is cool. Me and Elsa are going to do it. Oh. We did it three years ago, I think. And she's still in doing professional running? She wants to run yeah. as much as possible. I don't know about professional. She, she wants to be a teacher, too. Okay. Did she watch the Olympic runners? Yeah, we did. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Pretty impressive stuff. I love the, the way that differences in the body shape between the you know the sprinters and the marathons and like, yeah it's the just Olympics fascinating is a great time to look at bodies oh my gosh <laughs> those, the, the specialization the rowers the, the speed rowers oh my gosh yeah Jazz. all of them even like the speed walkers yeah. it's like just people who are great at one thing just beautiful uh body forms mm-hmm. anyways i was born and raised in mammoth lakes, mammoth lakes. they they uh we built a ski lodge there and uh Live there. My parents got divorced early. I think when I was about seven or eight or so, and I went to I went to boarding school down in Carmel, Mm -hmm. uh, Carmel Valley, for a few years, and then my mother sold that. We uh, lived in the Bay Area. Went to a bunch of small schools in in Marin County, and then um, I moved back up to the Mammoth. Lived with my dad. Then I went back in the Bay Area. Ended up going, uh, living there for the rest of my uh, developmental life. And as a, as a teenager, went to uh, bust into a um, a rough high school. Let's put it that way, where mm-hmm. I was a skinny little white boy and whose mission in life was to make it home that day. Wow, <laughs> it was rough. It was I rough. That, and that was when you know Martin Luther was assassinated. And so, like, 
okay, I'm just not going to go to the bathroom today and for the next year and you know, going to the bathroom. You know, so it was sort of like... Um, was it a bigger school? It was a big school and it was rough. And so I probably, I grew up in high school in fear, actually, you know, and that was not... Were uh, you a minority at the school? It was probably, yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, your memory is not accurate. Uh, no. So it's hard to know, you know, what proportion is it was. I felt like a minority. and mm-hmm. But anyhow, it was, I survived, but I wasn't really into academics at all. Really? Not at all. That surprises me. I, I was, well, I have a learning disorder, dyslexia. Oh. Which I didn't know at the time. I just thought I was stupid, so I really didn't apply myself at all. Wow, I did and, not know that at all. And, how, how, I never would have known that. Yeah, well, I, you learn how to hide it and adapt. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I didn't find out until I was, you know, just about finishing with my Ph.D. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> I can't string a, uh, five words together, but I'm not, you know, it's just a learning disorder, and that's just the way the brain works. And, you know, the rest of my... Other people, other nieces and nephews have it, and actually one of them committed suicide over it. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. But So it, does it affect primarily your reading or your uh, writing? Or? It's more my writing. There's different types, you know, mm-hmm. from uh, the the math form, which is dyscalculia, to those that affect the reading, to the writing and just the word placements and all sorts of stuff. So mine is mainly just I don't see words. I can't understand words. If I write keep and kept, my brain doesn't know the difference. I can't figure out. I have to sit there. What what do I use? And I I just don't know. It's just brain does not work on some things. It's it's weird. But anyhow, yeah. Um, so you close your eyes to compute stuff. I've, I've always I, yeah, I that. do that. Yeah, it's one of those things and that people why. think that's. Uh, and I think okay, which one is that? Is it keep or is it kept? And I think and. But I am always processing with my eyes closed. When I have to think really hard and I need to just block everything else out, I do that. And if I'm in public, I'm like, you feel a little self-conscious. Oh, see, I I always think about you because I'm like, no, Kim Patton does it. I I can can do it. (laughs) I'm not even aware of it. That's the thing. But because, you know, you don't uh, watch yourself. But I do know and and I think I bet this is probably... Looks awkward. You're just limiting the input for processing yeah. the power to go where it needs to go. Yeah, well, when you don't have much, you got to you got to limit. <laughs> I know to... that game. <laughs> so, anyways, then I I did go to uh, I ended up going to UC Berkeley for a couple years, and then I, I transferred to UC Davis. Where you know, I I eventually started to apply myself. So I graduated in plant science, and then I went to graduate school in Iowa State in. Uh, horticulture and, and soil chemistry, and then met my wife, we got married there, and then we went to um, we, Washington State University and got a PhD there. My wife got a, a master's degree there. She actually has a degree in ag education and a master's in soil uh, soil science. Okay, so she you doesn't apply any of have it, a great she, garden. Yeah, well, it's she does all the work. <laughs> um, so why, why were you moving around so much as a kid? Uh, it was a different school every year. I think it was just uh, my mother was trying to find a place uh, to call home. That And so it was a different, you know, until we were in high school, it was almost a different school every year. And that's always rough for kids. I mean, you guys were fortunate. You were always in the same place. You never moved. Uh, and that has some advantages in terms of friendship. And I think probably yeah. for that reason, I'm I'm perfectly comfortable not necessarily, you know, not necessarily 
having huge numbers of uh, being with a lot of people or doing stuff on my by myself, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Made you a loner? A loner, yeah. Maybe I was already one, but uh, I certainly it it uh, it helped foster that. Yeah, when you don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, grew up. I grew up. My only friends were dogs. You know, I had, and because we lived way out f- away from everyone else, so you make do. And so, any brothers or sisters? I have. Uh, I had. A, we had a foster brother for a few years, and uh, he about killed my mother just because of it's hard to be. I imagine. And so then uh, I have three uh, half brothers and sisters that uh, my father moved down to New Zealand uh, and uh, had a sheep farm there in New Zealand, and so he remarried, had three kids there, and so. That, How old are you when that happened? Uh, 12, if I recall. Oh, that must have not felt that great. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's life. I don't know how old you were, but, um. I was 13 when my family broke up. It sucked. Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to say, and I was going to say this in the beginning, I have to give hats off to your mother. I cannot imagine how difficult it is to raise four moody teenagers and unlimited income. Yeah, and right. have them turn out so good. It's like, how did she do that? I mean, that. It, oh, thank it, you so much for saying that. Because that's that's, that's really amazing. Nice. And she does deserve a lot of credit oh for that because we did not make it easy. Oh, I can imagine you guys were moody. Uh, I mean, very. Uh, be yeah. That's I would. Yeah. Say, I don't to say I, the least. To say the least. To say yeah. to put it nicely. Mm-hmm. You were troubled kids. Yeah. yeah. How did she do that? I don't and know. And limited income. Yeah. And she worked hard. Yeah, but gosh, and gave you the. The strength and the fortitude and the grist to develop and to mature adults. Honestly, you know what I think it was? Is that she put faith into us and, yeah, and yeah. led her whole life through that through that route where she actually, like, it felt purposeful. It yeah, felt meaningful yeah. because she thought she was making soldiers for Christ's army. Well, you know. <laughs> it, it worked. Hats off to her because she did a marvelous job. I don't even know if it worked the way she planned, but um, I love who I am. I'm happy with yeah. who I turned out to be. And I'm not the Christ warrior that she wishes I was, uh-huh. but I feel like I'm a good person. And I mean, that's the best you can. And you're happy. Your family, everyone's happy. happy and they're healthy and they're mature adults and they're doing good for the world. And what else can you ask for? Exactly. I mean, that, what a, Life's good. What a hero she is. Yeah. Thank my you for gosh. saying so. Yeah, She's yeah. my hero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How are how are your kids doing? Oh, my kids are doing well. They're, um, you know, they've all graduated with advanced degrees. They're all employed. My son was with Google. Now is a professor at UW. My daughter is a senior research associate or assistant at OHSU, working with um, in the addiction uh, area. And my other daughter, my youngest, you probably know her the best because she was friends with your your youngest sister, uh, is works at as a a social health counselor at Seattle. Oh, wow. That's so great. So they're all doing well. I have two granddaughters, and they're like one, one and a half. Well, almost two and four. So, oh, fun ages. Oh yeah, they're right in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. So you like your grandpa duties? Uh, yeah. Actually, we have babysitting duties next week, so they'll be down there. And it's like, oh my god, that's a lot of work. How do we do this? How yeah. did we do this? <laughs> you had to. You had to. But it just seems as, as you know, seniors, it's like. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting at every stage, but I think you just forget when you're in it. Maybe, maybe. I remember at the beginning because yeah. I I came into as a step parent, yeah. right, with a seven year old and a five year old, yeah. 
came in and just hit the ground running. Yeah. And it was really hard at first, energy wise. Cause oh, I, and I, I remember thinking like, how am I going to do this until they're 18? Like the, oh, where, yeah. when am I going to sleep? <laughs> and it just got more and more intense from there. Well, I mean, some of the, I think, I think our heroes are some of these, um, grandparents who adopt the kids. Oh yeah. You know, that are in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and have little babies. It's like, how do you do that? Oh, my yeah. gosh. I know, and I know several that's like, wow. Yeah, that would be so hard. Yeah. Anyways, my first job was at Texas A&M. Uh, oh. And I worked at the Texas A&M for five years. I was a assistant professor in uh, with A&M and doing um, research uh, in fruit and vegetables and sustainable agriculture and uh we were it was actually a good job and and paid well i had full-time technicians a big farm it was great but i'm not a texan and so it was so hard because of the heat uh the heat the fire ants uh but i think just the culture Mm -hmm. you know you put um I guess you, uh, you're not uh, one of those snowflakes, are you? Uh, no, I just you put a, a liberal Yankee down in conservative t- East Texas, and it's like you're just a. You, it's you're just hard. Not feeling it. It's yeah. just not. You can't. Uh, you try to adapt. You try to become part of that culture, and it's just not there. You know, here I fit in is fine. I've never lived in a place like that. Oh, everyone, everyone should do that. Everyone should experience these cultures that are so they're sort of contrary to who you are, just because it's it challenges your uh, I think yourself a lot. But. I've only ever leaned into my liberal hippie side like i went and lived in arcata for a year uh-huh. in california oh yeah yeah that's a good which place is a total liberal hippie yeah. oh yeah i meant so yeah and then i lived in bellingham for five years okay, well. and then i came back here so it's all west coast i've lived within a rock's throw of the 101 for my whole life mm-hmm. yeah i like it out here and it lets me be kind of my more centrist conservative i'm not conservative but it, uh, i feel kind of conservative when i'm in portland uh, <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's just i get to be in the middle more comfortably uh, than if I was in Texas, I'd feel obligated to be more liberal just to balance it out. Uh, yeah, Portland is interesting. Yeah, it's kind of sad. The homelessness thing is the sad part. Oh my gosh, I have friends who lived in near downtown and they just had to move. They yeah, just, they sold to move down here, and it's just uh, my daughter likes it, but um, it's it's challenging to for your reactions when you're walking downtown what's how do you react to this what do you, you know processing what's going on you know what do i do, do I, you know how how do how do you uh sort of uh, resolve all those issues that are going on inside you just walking down the street but, yeah these are human beings and They're and you just... have compassion for them What's the proper response? Should and, you bring a bag of nickels every day? Yeah, like, what, yeah, what yeah. are you supposed to do? You can't help all these people. You, and uh, so it's, uh, <sighs> yeah. I used to really love giving money to homeless people when there wasn't as many. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't have as much money. Mm-hmm. I had very little. And it just like, I liked the Bible story where the lady tithes like two cents or something. And um, I don't even remember who was all stoked about it. But somebody yelling at the Pharisees because the, these haughty bastards were putting mm-hmm, in their mm-hmm. way more money, but it was like a fraction of their wealth. Mm-hmm, and this lady was putting in everything she had. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that I could use some heaven points. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a hobo a dollar when I only got 20 bucks. Uh-huh. So I would do that a lot. And I actually have 
become far less charitable now that I have a steady income. Oh. I don't, I don't, I'm not as impulsive of a spender either. Oh, so that's probably yeah. good. But my wife yeah. will give away everything. I'm a little more conservative. <laughs> you need both. Uh, you yeah. got to have the generous part and then, you know, the tighten the purse strings one. Yeah. It's the good couple. That's the good <laughs> dynamic. How's your wife? She's well. We've, we are, um, taking care of her mother. Her mother is, Oh, she will turn 90, 99, I think, or 98, 90, maybe she's 98 now. She'll turn 99. Uh, so wow. she, she, we brought her in from Austria and, uh, cause her partner died a couple of years ago. And, uh, so she lives with us and we take care of her and she's, um, she's having some glycoma issues. She can't see very well. She can't hear very well, but she's going to outlive me. As far as I can tell, <laughs> we, you know, we all go in for a blood test and hers is perfect and ours are like, huh. Maybe what does she eat? Whatever I feed her. <laughs> what do you eat? Whatever I grow. So you're, you're pretty much organic? Uh, I'm organic, whatever I grow. Occasionally, well, you, you know, I will buy some fish uh, and uh, we will occasionally do a roadkill of venison or something like that. But do you really the, salvage the roadkills? Oh, so... <laughs> You want to know a funny story? Of course yes, you I do. do. So this is not for the public. Of course not. You know, we live on Sandridge. Deers get hit all the time. And yeah. the uh, I was gone. I was over in eastern Washington doing some work in some irrigation ditches. And I think uh, I think there was a deer that got hit right in our yard. So Andy stopped on the way back and asked the guy who's, you know, Cadillac was steaming and everything. She said, well, do you want that deer? And of course, he, so she pulls this deer into our, our van and, uh, which is, it's pretty, it's heavy. You know, these things are big beasts. And for, you know, a, a woman to kind of manhandle this thing and she figured it out and got into the van and, and, uh, drove it into our yard and, um, unloaded put it into a wheelbarrow and so it's and it's it's sitting there in the wheelbarrow with its head hanging over the side and it was in good good shape it was and a male or female it was a uh a male i believe young male and uh, actually i'm not sure <laughs> and the um and who comes driving down the driveway but the federal game officer and of course, she has no idea that you're not supposed to be doing this. Oh, <laughs> this is, well, you can now. Now, but back oh, this is before. This was back then, because he was uh, there. He was the officer for the refuge, mm -hmm. and he was visiting uh, the the renter who works at the refuge, uh, Kirsten. And uh, he hadn't, you know, wasn't going after her or anything. He was just happening to drive down there, uh -huh. and so Andy just pulls a tarp over this thing, and he's sitting there standing, talking to her and Kirsten, and you know, like five feet away from this wheelbarrow with it with it <laughs> and so he, after a while he, he drives away and 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 there it's the two biologists working for the refuge were there and they had no idea that this was going on and then Annie says well can, can you guys help me sure can you help me pull this thing up on over the over this uh, the beam here because it's kind of heavy and they were just shocked I mean he's just like uh. Wow. These these you know biologists that would have never killed a butterfly and yeah. and so anyways it was 
That's uh, as a uh, as a academic and and I you call yourself an environmentalist, wouldn't you? I I do, yes. But you're also somebody who who understands the balance in things, right? I'm well, yeah, right. Well, that depends on balance is kind of a loaded word, but yeah, it completely is a loaded word. Yeah, yeah so, let's actually get into that. Okay, like wh- what do you think is the best for the planet? Um, <laughs> best for the planet to get rid of all the humans. Well, that's that's what a <laughs> lot of people say. For the ultimate invasive species. But well, we don't have to be. We have a lot of, of choices in how we live in this environment. We could improve it, but well, we just have to do it. I'm, I'm, I am counting on your generation and the generation after that to do it. I think it's too I late. I talked for... to them already and told them it's on them. Yeah, I heard on... that. I said, no, no, Jeff, it's on you. Well, maybe I'll Your help, podcast will change the I'll world. I'll try to help. I hope something does. It's, <laughs> it's freaking me out. That heat wave this last uh, month And we're really, supposed to really be having another me. one coming up. Uh, and so it's... Uh, and these fires is they're just terrifying. They're scary. I mean, it's just uh, you. This you is know. the closest they've ever come to us yeah. in our little wet. And that that was amazing. Just that little fire there. Um, but the woods, everything is so dry. Um, so, what do we do? Is yeah. That... What do we do? I mean, it's those are complicated sociological questions um you know i think bill gates does you know his new book or or some of his new thoughts are there is some technological solutions to some of these things Um, time we chip up and and just get with the program and but you know you have to have the will and and uh, even if it's just one country or one one state or one city or one person i mean it's a start but realistically i'm you know i guess i'm somewhat of a pessimist in that regard but you know i think nature bats last and uh i think you just have to look at uh, COVID to see that so maybe there's there's nature will come up with its own solutions yeah um we'll see i think we're too selfish and self-centered as a species to I think really resolve this, and and whereas the the dollar and other things kind of are not a certain dollar, but uh, financial concerns and it's complicated. I mean, just massive areas of the world are starving, malnutrition and drought, and what do these people have to? Yeah, it's complicated, and I there's no easy answer. I just think technology has some solutions, and I don't think we have. The discipline or the will to do it, uh, and I think nature will probably bat last. And, and uh, but uh, we, maybe we can extend it. Maybe, but you know, what was the um, this, the sociologist, um, great real sociologist, never under said never underestimate what a small group of determined people can how they can affect change. Yeah, and that's so. Look what happened in the Bay. Yeah, yeah. That. You are one of the main people on that. Oh, job. that was yeah. We we should chat about that a little bit. All right. So we were just talking about Spartina and the Willapaw Bay, and I've talked a lot about that on here already. But you were very involved in that process from the very beginning, in especially in getting the funding and getting like I imagine the research justification for the whole project in the first place. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Spartina was uh, actually it was. It almost cost me my job. Um, and, uh, you know, when I started here in 1990, I think I first went out on the barge 
with a, a tour, I think it was in 90 or 99, it was 1990 with Dick Sheldon. And so, oh, that, that looks like a, it was just starting there where there were some decent clones and the refuge was identified as a problem and there were some larger clones, um, and, you know, large by, you know, probably you know, a couple hundred feet in diameter down in the South Bay and Jensen Spit and so forth. And so... No meadows yet. No meadows yet. It was just a few clones and they, all the clones had the na- in their names like the Monsanto clone and so forth like that. I don't know. There Maybe there were terms of affection. The Monsanto clone was sort of where the first trials were put out by Ron Crockett down there at Porter Point. Ron Crockett used to be the Monsanto... Uh, guy for the western states very nice fellow and uh, but the um that sort of looked at glyphosate and gee it, it worked well on that particular trial but that was where you know pie and dry and it never wetted and, and sort of kind of led this this over the course of time for the registration of, of glyphosate so we started work i think i had brought in a postdoc and we got some funding for that and doing some research on what can be used to control this and how can we better utilize the tools we have and uh, worked on that for oh, a long time. Um, so just to summarize for people, you were involved through your position at WSU. W, right. But I was a horticulturist and I was I was uh, under the Department of Horticulture and none of this was considered horticulture. And so it's a publisher parish world for me. And so I was working and getting stuff done in Spartina and, and department said, well, that doesn't count. I'm sorry. And it's like, you don't, if you're not going to play the game we want you to play, you're not going to get tenure. And so I was like, so it was, it was, uh, you're supposed to work on this. And so it was like, well, this is important. Uh, what do they want you to work on? Well, horticulture things, horticultures in, in cranberries, basically, and maybe other things, perhaps. Spartan is a flowering plant. Yeah. Well, it didn't count because that was, uh, you know, had to do with pest management i wasn't uh, that wasn't where i was supposed to be weed you control trying to cultivate the plants. i wasn't supposed to be working in weed control or pest management or insect biology or anything like that and so we did other stuff but uh it did come to having to have intervention with the governor actually <laughs> through sid snyder oh wow uh and saying well maybe you should put kim Patton in the uh, extension rather than having him in the horticulture department and so that's kind of which is a different paradigm as far as what you work on and, and your tenure track and your what you can publish and not publish but anyhow that's actually what i wanted to ask about that so the extension program is a very substantial in this state can you explain what that is uh well it's the the and why it exists oh my gosh Just uh, briefly. so the land-grant university was established back uh in the 1880s thereabouts where every state had a, a land-grant university and the which is to help the farmers and agriculture uh and those were then there was a triad uh, there was research education and extension so the extension part was to take the research take it out to the farmers and uh, so and then the education was sort of for the students and so forth so that was sort of the fundamental basics of the land grant institution and so every county had their extension agents and across and of course it's 
adapted since then, and uh, that was well over 120-plus years ago, and so it's changed a lot. But uh, basically, every county should have an extension person in it, or extension agent, or extension professional, uh, but they don't now, and, and we kind of do it in all sorts of ways where you might have someone in a specialty. Okay, this person has a specialty of uh, tree fruits, one of three tree fruit specialists in the state of Washington, or this one has, I'm one of my specialties was aquatic weed management for the state of Washington. And so, uh, or cranberries, or I would go to all the counties all the time, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not county bound. And so that was, you know, basically your regional or I would be working in eastern Washington all the time or up in northern Washington and so forth. So, uh, and you're just trying to solve problems too. That's, the best, that's basically the gist of it. You're trying to s- solve problems to assist the citizens of the state of Washington and the, the state of Washington, not necessarily agriculture. It could be just the natural resources and so forth. So it's basically... How do you solve this problem? And it's it's sort of very um, impact related, and so you're evaluated on your impact. How effective are you? What did you really make a difference in life? And you must feel great. I feel good. Yeah, because you I, had a huge impact. I, I and that sort of you know you you do a lot of stuff in life. Most of it is for naught, but a few things actually work when you you know if you, and a few things worked and it basically yeah saved the bay uh, because. You need you solve something. You find a way to, to control spartina, and that actually works. And it was a very much in partnership. You know, we worked with the shellfish growers, with the refuge, with the Olympic National Resource uh, a lot Center. Of stakeholders in that. There was a lot of stakeholders. You had the TNC and all these other environmental private groups. citizens, and and that helps. But uh, there were an equal number of people that were against it oh, I, I won't say anything uh people people just have their own perspective and you know it but it. but it's 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 not it's very similar to the whole sort of the anti-vax thing i mean it's the same tribalism it's and exactly and it's like well if you're for it i'm against it and so and some of those were very effective. In a lot of cases, they were the state agencies. They're, you're, <laughs> Spartina is beautiful, and it's helping fish, and it's green, and you're not going to touch it. Does it really help fish? Well, there was some research that you dubbed saying that they used the outer part of the uh, of the clone when they were spawning to hide from predators. And so when we started, um, basically, you could only, only control you were allowed to do was to mow the inside of a clone. Oh, I remember that. For those of us who are not as up-to-date on plant knowledge, when we are referring to clones, that's the way a grass plant spreads in this particular case. So if you could imagine one sprig of grass, one shoot, the that shoot from the root area will shoot out rhizomes. Rhizomes are very much like roots, but they're almost like when you're growing strawberries and they shoot those little stringers out to start new plants, except the rhizome is under the surface of the soil. So they are rhizomatic and then those rhizomes produce new shoots and then so they continue to grow as clones. And it's just one continuous plant that gets larger and larger and because it's branching out in 360 degrees, it grows in a circular form. 
And so you get these large circular patches that eventually, when they get big enough, will start to connect and create meadows. Yeah, so, and we, and you know, we played those ridiculous games for a dozen years. Well, out there painting it on, painting it, or you were, or you're not allowed, or we're just going to kill it mechanically, or we're going to mow it, or crush it, or, and it was. But actually, thank God they did try all that stuff because now we know what really actually. Yeah, and you know, there was a lot of money, a lot of resources spent trying to look at the alternatives, and uh, they didn't work even though a lot of the agencies insisted they did but uh, it was an interesting battle if and something works marginally it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it works enough to make it work it know? doesn't make yeah right who cares if it's yeah if you're you know if you're you get a 40 percent efficacy rate and it spreads from a thousand to ten thousand acres in the meantime yeah. <laughs> that's like i don't think this is working guys uh, it's a it's a really complicated problem dealing with multiple factors of, of climate and human influence and animals and wildlife and other animals that now use that as their yeah, habitat yeah. It's, it sucks to try to balance all that and I think, in, and then dealing with the Kafkaesque type of bureaucracy that just is not going to move, and, yeah. and you know, it's just this entanglement of bureaucracy that you have to battle. That is um, so hard, discouraging. Yeah, and and those are battles that I didn't like to do, and I think you know uh, we were lucky that we had Sid Snyder help us and there were several times when i was in the room with sid snyder and he was with department heads and um like department of ag and he said no you're gonna do this and they said no we we can't you're not gonna use airplanes no we're not gonna allow that and no you're not gonna go after you're not gonna be allowed to use a massive here we're not gonna allow that and and sid said yes we are and they said okay (laughs) i mean not in that so many words but that was and uh Having a champion like that did make a huge difference, and the state is very crucial. Yeah, it, it's we are having more challenges and, and similar battles, and but with no Sid Snyder and not usually winning. And a different populace. Yeah. People do not really like the idea of of doing really any kind of disruption of the ecosystem, even yeah. if they don't fully understand what's going on. But at least with Spartina, you had some of the environmental groups as advocates that could see that, yeah, this was probably the biggest threat to migrating birds that exist in, you know, the Western Flyway. I mean, it was amazing. Those are the most useful type of allies. Yeah. And, and so, you know, part of that, finding partners and learning how to work and, and build those uh, cooperatives or anything. It's critical for solving things like, you know, climate change and so forth and that uh, these other bigger issues. If you're out there one man against bureaucracy, it's hard. Yeah, you don't have enough time. And it's not fun. So you can come up with solutions. Uh, I mean, I can talk about burrowing shrimp. I mean, we uh, developed a control and, and and they said no we, no that's not going to work so we've been looking still are looking for alternatives and um, what was the issue with carbaryl in the first car- place? well carbaryl you know it's used for has been used for 60 70 years since 19 um, 1950s was it just the risk of, I, of well carbaryl is an old chemistry it's hot it does mm-hmm. and we were they were, the industry was using it at high rates and uh, it did cause some short term you know impacts to the, the fauna there, you know, that short-term risk was 
compensated by the long-term benefit to the gain in the ecosystem. And there's lots of research that shows that, yeah, if you get rid of the broiling shrimp, you do have a net gain over a course of two or three years in the ecosystem health. And um, How's that measured? Just by the diversity. Uh, well, you know, you're looking at diversity and abundance of uh, species from the, you know, if you get the eelgrass coming back, then you get the fish and then you get the crab. And so this whole diversity of ecosystem as opposed to a monoculture of pretty much just uh, burrowing shrimp and bare sand. Okay. So when you see those nerds walking across the mudflats with PVC squares, tossing them on the ground counting, yeah, that's yeah. what they're doing, huh? Well, it's probably one of the things, yeah. But it's uh, it's it's really in the world of doing that stuff has changed. And when I started this, it was relatively easier to get permits to do that kind of stuff, like data collection or control. Just control or to go out and put out a plot. You know, in in the old days, it was, um, you know, you fill out your paperwork and you get your permits to do this or that out there, and uh, you you would eventually get them. Now it's it's almost impossible to get, you know, um, a permit to do almost anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do you think is the reason for that? Well, I, you know, it's it's uh, some of it's bureaucracy, some of it's perception. I mean, just to give you an example, you know, we've done lab studies where we get reasonably good control of burrowing shrimp using caffeine. So a 100 milligram dose of caffeine per meter square is a, you know, an equivalent in, in a lab does a pretty good job of causing uh, tetany and, and burrowing shrimp. How, how much is that, 100 milligrams? Uh, it's a cup of coffee. Yeah. And so basically pouring a, a cup A weak of, one. Yeah, a weak cup of coffee. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what could be wrong with coffee? I mean, everyone loves coffee, right? Caffeine. is So let's, uh, and the agencies were saying, well, that's that's not going to happen. And we cannot approve caffeine. Uh, it's not, that's just not going to happen. Is so. It- who is this? Well, this would be Department of Agriculture. Oh, and and you know they they it's not registered as a pesticide. Therefore, you we're not going down that road, and they're not going to take the effort or the risk to do that. And so, for whatever reasons. Uh, oh, I guess that makes sense. And it's bureaucracy. It's it's so it's like you can come up with solutions, but they might be socially acceptable, but but they may not be acceptable from other. Components. I remember you having me sprinkle mustard powder oh, yeah. as well for yeah, trial one Yeah, yeah, that was the good old days. There was some crazy stuff out there, actually. Um, do you <laughs> happen to remember the time the tire on the Marshmaster exploded? Oh, yeah. Or the like, bog hog? Or yeah, the, yeah, the Marshmaster. It looked like a giant ATV. Yeah. So, like was, a giant four-wheeler. Yeah, the, it was tires. like, yeah, three-foot diameter, nine, diameter yeah. tires. Was that amphibious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That it was... got a flat, and there was, you couldn't get another tire for it. No, and so no. you had me go buy a case of that expanding foam insulation. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Like the cans. Yeah, we bought it. Like, and put, we cut put a, a hole. hole in there, and I filled that tire with insulation and packing peanuts. Yeah. And we glued the <laughs> thing back close. Just to get it out of the out of the tie flats. Yep, yep. And it rolled about 10 feet, and that plug just shot out of there, <laughs> and it just blew foam all over. The wind took it. It just looked like it was snow going uh, down the bay. That was... Um... Yeah. That's a fantastic job. <laughs> I loved it. I really, it um, showed me what I wanted to do. Oh, like, yeah, it's good. Well, they seem... Before that, I was working at a grocery store. Yeah. And it's not really that much fun. Uh-huh. Well, I, my, my goal was try to get young mm. high school students, you know, freshmen and keep them for, you know, three or four years and sort of get them, and maybe even into college when they would come back for the summer and, and uh, get them well-trained and then they can just turn them loose and let them go and, and here's what we need to do and, and uh, you were one of the uh, 
better ones for doing that. I don't know how long you worked there, but it was fun. Two years, I two think, years? two summers. Yeah, I think your sister worked there longer. Yeah, I think she did two or three before me. And your brother, I was only a couple years, too. Mm-hmm. Six years of Nesbitt's a lot of Nesbitt. Uh, it wasn't enough, Nesbitt. <laughs> <laughs> I even tried to hire your mom. She didn't want to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, honestly, she probably would have been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that job was great. It's, it, I never would have seen the career path that I took without starting there. Mm-hmm. So genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Well, well, thank you. Thank it you. Was really, it was really, really uh, awesome. You were a blast. It was fun to have these kids. Because A, they were strong. Here, carry these 100-pound sacks out into the, <laughs> into the bay. Which I also love. Yeah. And it's like, because that's hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not somebody, it's not for the, the older people person too you can i would always tell people when like they'd ask me about that on my resume or something i'd be like yeah i would generally carry the heavy stuff but um because i was the assistant so i wasn't doing the research but i use that for a reference on all kinds of stuff like to try and get in people's labs and yeah yeah. no i i uh i still write literature recommendation for people that worked for me 20 years ago (laughs) i don't think i would have ever got the jobs i had without those thank you for that too. no no thank you yeah Oh, yeah. I meant to ask you a long time ago. How to go with the rowing shell? You called me and you oh, said you yeah. had bought a so I, I, Well, I'm borrowing one from Michael Parker. I don't know Borrow. if you Michael Parker, who's he's, uh, he's probably, he's close to 90 and he's not going to use it anymore. So I said, Mark, can I, because it just looks so cool. It's a single rowing shell. And I said, I want to try that because it just looks like fun. They just zoom, smooth, smooth and fast. And I thought, oh, this this should be easy. Oh, my gosh. It's basically you're rowing backwards sitting on a pencil, a tippy pencil. It is so hard and to and because you can't see where you're going. And so you, you're and you're trying to dodge uh, poles and all sorts of stuff there. And it's so tippy. And you better hope it's glass. And it's like. and if there's any wind or anything like that. And it's also it's really hard. And it's OK. You're coordinating about. 10 different moves at the same time and it's you have to be perfectly balanced and okay i got two wow i'm so proud of myself how many can i do okay there's 10 and, you know and perfect strokes and that was and it's like <sighs> and and you have to do that and i thought i'm just uh and then the conditions have to be good too yep. And they're not, and they're not, and you know, and I'm, and it would be the winter would be perfect because it tends to be these icy, uh, calm days, but the weather, the water is freezing, and then you got to wear a life preserver, and it's like, uh. so I actually haven't gotten it out this summer because I've got uh, some tendonitis in my elbows, I haven't rode, but it's hard, and I'm not to the grueling part because I can't. It, I'm not. I can't go long enough to get it where I can go. Okay, I can. All right, I did two miles. Now I have to go home. Oh my gosh, how am I to get back? <laughs> yeah. So when I was doing that, it was also with other people. Yeah. Then so you got to coordinate with them. No, all but those compounding variables. Yeah, it, it's, it's like it's, it's a huge challenge. And but I think if I had a mirror so I can watch where I'm going. I my my son got a had has a three D printer, so I said, print me a rudder that's bigger than this rudder, so I can stay straighter. So yeah. <laughs> so we I haven't put it on yet, but but he's got so we got a a, a rudder engineered so that I, I can at least stay straighter. But cool. it's it's a challenge. Yeah, it is. Uh, Mike was telling me, oh, I used to go out there and race the barges, 
And I thought, no, I'm not going to try <laughs> That sounds pretty dangerous. <laughs> well, he used, to, he used to make race motorcycles and so forth. But anyhow, mm-hmm. I was a younger Mr. Parker. But um, so it's other easier sports. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm going. I might bring it back to him. Or maybe he forgets I have it. I don't know. But anyways. <laughs> well, if, if someday he's trying to get rid of it and he, it's free. You know who to talk oh, to. Oh, I, I might do that, yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know if I'm even ready for that commitment, honestly. It's it's just like you said, all the same reasons. It's The weather's not always great here. You pretty much, to be in good enough shape to row, you need to stay on a land workout regimen. Oh, yeah. To, yeah. to where you're rowing every day, but and then when you do get on the water, and I don't know if it's worth all it's that. It's different muscles than you normally use. Oh, yeah. And so, and I don't, I don't have those muscles very much like posterior chain yeah and it's so i mean they're good muscles and but uh <laughs> it's yeah it really does work stuff you're not used to working yeah and it's all pivoting around different center points than than you're used to using uh, really? i mean it I've was like I, I i got i get you know it's it's hard yeah you ever get on an erg like the rowing machine uh they have one over there at the uh aquatic center and i've mm-hmm. tried that yeah those are pretty good workouts. Yeah. And yeah. The, the balance issue is eliminated. Yeah, right, so right. I mean, it's like, oh, this is so easy. You yeah. could just go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's because uh, it's just the balance is so hard because you have to really, it's so much focus. You know, if you, you it's it's just absolute concentration and because you have to, paddles have to be in just the exact place and it's just. just are you feathering the blade? Yeah, or? you got to okay, do all yeah. that sort of stuff. And it's like. All right, there's like 10 moves. I got them straight once. Okay, now I got to do that again? <laughs> yeah. That's good for your brain. It'll keep you young. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> Challenging yourself like that is, is great for your creativity, too. It'll make, make you smarter. Uh, That's what I've heard. Okay, well, I'll take your word for it. That's why you're so smart. It's honestly is what I'm trying. <laughs> it's I, a whole lot easier just running. <laughs> yeah, running is. But you don't have to think much. That's, right. It's still pretty challenging. Do you run much? Uh, I've taken up running. I try to run trail running and, and, uh, I, it's, it's uh, enjoyable. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm an old man. I can't run that fast. And, and, you know, if I can do, if I can do four or five miles an hour, I'm happy with that. That's pretty good. But that's not, you know, that's going down. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh. There's some nice runs. I love Leadbetter. Yeah. Oh, because it's, it's not up and down. It's just beautiful. And this ground's soft. It's soft, yeah. It's, like it's just foamy. Yeah, it's just lovely for running yeah, in beautiful. the winter. And it's, yeah. And they've done a pretty good job of keep, keeping the trails clear. Except for the gorse. Yeah, yeah. That's Damn, great. you know, that's the county's job. They're Why, working on well, it. They should. They've contacted them, I've heard. Oh, yeah. But, okay. They, you know, gorse is, a, gorse is a tough one because it's one of these weeds that's management it's not eradication yeah. and you know it's an ideal weed for a good biocontrol system and so forth i think it seems like one that's uh there's got to be some kind of development you could do with it it's so oily like why can't you grind it up and make fire starter pellets out of it or something <laughs> my first one of my first jobs so one of my first jobs was castrating sheep but my second job was clearing gorse oh. in, in new zealand i had these huge piles of gorse and that we'd burn and I had this giant pile that I put together, and and we lit it, and I mean it was flames two, three foot high, and the fire department 
came and it was a big deal and it burned we, so high and we had to get and we got all sorts of fines for it and everything like that but yeah well new zealand is covered in gorse <laughs> head to toe that i watched a video on youtube of i think that was new zealand bray head oh yeah, and yeah. i don't know if that sounds yeah, familiar yeah, but yeah the whole thing burned yeah. it was all covered in gorse and it just there was a helicopter view of it and it's just hundreds and hundreds yeah. of acres just Engulfed. Well, and that's, you know, what's happened to Bandon, and Bandon mm-hmm. is just solid gorse, too. Twelve it's, people died yeah, in that. Yeah. Yeah. They drove a bunch of their cars out to the beach uh-huh. because they to get away just to try to save them. They right. had nowhere else to go. And it was still so hot, it melted all the tires. No and, kidding. Wow. Like, yeah. Wow. I think weeds are, invasive weeds are amazing. They are pretty amazing. Invasive species in general. But, yeah, from a purely biological point of view, they're the most amazing plants. They're, they're just the, at least impressive. They're tough. They're gonna just they're gonna kick your ass no matter what you do. I don't, I don't know how knotweed is going to be addressed. Like control is the only option because it's it's not feasible to think you could eradicate all no, of that. No, and it's so established. And it's, it's you have yeah the people that say not on my property yeah. and you don't even have an effective control and it appears decent it's okay but, but it's no, it's you, multiple year stuff yeah. and, and like it a, limits your ability to replant yeah, um, yeah at least in the same year and i you know fritzy grabstad who used to work at the, the cranberry station and biocontrol was Spartina, she you know she's got a um a stem bore that they're going to release or have released or if they're they're in phase you know, it's getting close, and so hopefully that'll have some... I heard there was a recently approved yeah, uh, biocontrol. that would have been hers, yeah. and so hopefully it's, you know, the best you can hope for is just management and suppression. But Yeah. Well, let's see what happens with the green crab stuff. That'll be kind of, I think it's kind of going in a little bit, the whole but... Thing stresses me out, just in the same way that Notweed does. <laughs> I was surprised how many I found on my property, so it was... Really? Yeah, it's a lot. I surveyed your property the other day. Oh, that was that was you, an airboat. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I saw somebody just kind of going, starting. Did you find any sportina? Not on your property. Oh, but you find some. I found three. No points. kidding. Yeah, from between one thirteenth and Seoul Harbor. Oh wow. Three out of five. How big uh, were they? They were mm, few shoots. Oh, okay, that's just amazing that just finding those and and uh, it's the ones I'm seeing now are like it'll be like one, two, three in a line. Oh, okay, um, so a rhizome that sprouted up yeah. and that you probably from before and mm-hmm. and just they just come every once in a while you still get one. Yeah, but there's not much. Yeah, that's, that's it's just such a different job than it used to be out there. But it's fun. I love going. Yeah, out there. that's that. Uh, that's the best part of. That was the best part of my job is go out and do stuff. And mm-hmm. most of the time, you just had to do paperwork, and it wasn't that much fun. It's such a different world in the bay. Like you, you get out there, and and you sometimes if you're not out there a lot, you forget. Like you, the plants are different, the smells are different, oh, the, the smell, world just yeah. feels different. Yeah, it's special. I like it. Most and most people don't see that, mm-hmm. and they don't experience it, and they just it's. It's the same with the woods. Yeah, it's yeah. just a whole different world. Yeah. I saw a post you did, a, it's gone actually probably a few years ago, but forest bathing. Oh, yeah. The Japanese yeah. practice of forest bathing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had just finished reading about it, so I thought, it, I think that's why it stuck with me. But that's that's real stuff. Like I just that, I just came back from three days of forest bathing. You which feel is, different. Which I don't know is a fancy word for saying hiking in the woods. But, yeah, but being in it, like yeah. feeling you're breathing the air and yeah, everything, yeah. You, you feel like a better version of yourself in the woods. Yeah. I like it out yeah. there. Where'd you go? Uh, I have a few favorite spots. Uh, Goat Rocks is one of them, and then Mount Rainier. There's, there's just so amazing. 
Mount Rainier, do you climb all the way up? I'm tempted, but no, I'm not that. I'm too old for that. But there's some, you know, there's some amazing long hikes in there and then just the wildflowers. Well, they came out early. Usually you'd be in peak wildflower a little bit, you know, pretty, you know, a week ago or two. But now everything kind of went way early with that heat. Oh, yeah, I bet. But it's still amazing. Was it buzzy out there? Uh, depends on where you were. There's some spots that were like, oh, this is not so enjoyable with those mosquitoes. <laughs> oh, I mean bees. Oh. Or, like, how are the bees oh, situation in the wildfire? Oh, and, oh, with the, yeah, actually, there were a lot of bu- uh, bumblebees right on. Uh, out on the wildflowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. the, a melanopygus and some, which are always late, and, and some mixtus up there, some nice species. They're some always, of our friendly native bees. Yeah, very the bees that live around here are loners, right? A lot of them live in the ground in a burrow. The, uh, some species are ground nesters, like the uh, melanopygus and the mixtus. Some of them, the melanopygus, will do sort of aerial and ground, depending on what they find. When I was a kid, this just popped into my head, but me and my brother had this spot that was just like eh, probably 100 yards from our yeah. house, just the off Sandridge, pretty yeah. close to your place. Um, and there was all these holes in the ground. Oh, yeah. Like... Probably um, 500 holes. Oh, little solitary nesters, probably. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. On really hot days, bees were flying in oh, and yeah, out of them. Yeah. But, and we would like we were amazed because we could stand on these holes and everything. Yeah. And the bees were all around us, but none of them were stinging us. Uh-huh. I, it was bizarre. Yeah, like, that, that's one of those native bees. Yeah, those are little uh, solitary nesters that. Uh, and uh, oh, I wish I would have known about that. Because um, I spent a lot of time studying pollination ecology. And, they build and, a house on top of it, actually. Oh, <laughs> paved paradise. Yep. Put in the parking lot. Um, let's, let's see. Yeah. Yeah, they, they tend to do that. That's It's it's a fascinating. I've only lived for 30 years, but there's uh, a lot of changes in 30 years. It's it's sort of a lot of houses. It's like, yeah. oh, I used to go mushrooming there. Oh, not anymore. Oh, I used to go mushrooming there. Not anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. there's, there's very few spots that are left that are sort of... What's your favorite kind of mushroom to hunt? You know, I... I uh, when, hard, they're, when they're flush. Uh, still, the chanterelles are hard to beat. I just love the chanterelles. But the bleats, you know, the big bleats are just, like, so uh, magnificent. They really are. And they're just so... Feels like such a gift. And, and they're just so glorious and statuesque. And they're just sort of, you know, they're just this gift. Exactly, yeah. I was up in Indian Heavens Wilderness, I think, two years ago. And it was, there were literally tens of thousands of these king bleeds everywhere. And it was like, ah, everywhere, I mean, look, just standing one spot, I could see about a hundred of them, these big, huge mushrooms. And it's, That's a weird feeling. Yeah, it's, it, like, it's like a, something primal where it's yeah. like, I can't, I can't have it all. It's like the lions that will uh, kill an extra buffalo just for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there are... Uh, all of them are nice. Yeah, uh, King Bleeds, they go wormy so fast too. And you just and it, but you get a perfect so one. Part of the, the King Bleed is just oh, perfect timing because mm-hmm. it's like this short window of like five minutes. <laughs> it really is really short, and I, I, it almost feels like you would see them actively growing because they yeah. come up so fast. Like yeah. one day, nothing there. The next day, six inches of, of height, six inches of cap, like, and the next day from? they're wormy, mm-hmm. and so it's, they have deer bites out of the top. Yeah. Yeah. Do you cook them? 
Uh, make uh, King Bolit make great soup, or we dry him. And I mean, you can have one King Bolit is a lot. That's the thing. I had to start selling mushrooms. Yeah. I can't eat that many, and yeah. I just like picking them. <laughs> it, I, it is. I like finding them. I, I, Andy does all the picking and cleaning because it's uh, too tedious. I love it. And but I like to. Go, oh, there's one. There's one. There's one. And it's it's yeah. Just sort of this discovery. The dopamine rush. And, oh, yeah, because it's it's not predictable. Mm-hmm. And uh, variable rate reinforcement. Exactly right. And so you get that uh, non-constant dopamine mm-hmm. hit. You know, it's not like oh, once you find them, they're everywhere. No, gambling. <laughs> it's just like gambling. It yeah. is addicting. It's very addicting. And the frequency has to be perfect. It has to be within the range. If you're finding too many, you no, burn out. Right, right, right. And if you don't have enough, you get bored. And 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 then there there are some that are like so hard to get to that it's like. Oh boy, I don't know if I'm up to it. You know, where you're crawling on your hands and knees for, you know, it seems like miles. Like Rabbit Road. That one. Oh my gosh. That's a hard one. It's a really hard one. Oh I, boy. After you posted something about how many chanterelles were out there on Rabbit Road, <laughs> I hiked my ass out there in a pouring rain, uh-huh. hard, hard rain. <laughs> I suckered you into it. <laughs> single mushroom. I was cussing you the whole time. That's like, uh, hilarious. I really thought I was going to find him, I was going to hit big. But no. I, I, several people have said that. And I army crawled from Sandridge to Sunset Sands. Oh my. Through gosh. the salal bushes. Well, you know, I used to be able to bike that whole thing. It was a great really? little single uh, single track bike, and it was just the funnest thing. And then we had that windstorm, and all the trees came down, and you can't, you can barely even crawl. Yeah, I'd forgotten it was actually a road. Yeah, and I mean, you can kind of get close by, you know, canoeing or something like that and kind of go in from the side, but it's still... What's that from? Is that just old from logging or I, Well, it was just that windstorm we had in 07 or 08 and then all the, the um, blowdowns. No, I mean, where'd the road come from? Oh, it was a logging road because oh. that's all second or third growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think up north... Uh, I love finding old roads when you think you're in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, wait, no. Well, that's, that's off straight row of trees. Yeah. yeah. The, there's a road just off of... 101 just outside of Chinook right off right at the mouth of the river oh yeah yeah I think that there must have been a town out there at some point oh yeah yeah it, it was a road and lots of little areas that look like they used to be like a block didn't the um, Columbia Land Trust get that recently I don't know I think so because they got that little mouthpiece there probably they, I like when they get stuff I do too I they think that's the all, that's in my mind uh, it's the only way to preserve things Mm-hmm. Is just have it in, uh, in, in sort of uh, preserve private land holding. Yeah, because otherwise, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have public land accessible, but people wreck it. How many <laughs> how many piles of trash are at the end of, of county roads? Oh my gosh, it's disgusting. I was up in Gifford Pinchot last week and the National Forest. Uh, yeah, up in Jug Lake, <laughs> and it's you know it's it's a four mile 2000 foot climb to get up there and Damn. it's it's a decent hike and i get up there and there's just garbage from you know garbage everywhere well they probably came in they came in there they were probably hunters they had you can see that there was these little camps and they just left stuff when they're oh, done hunting yeah. and it was like oh please you know it was like old lawn chairs and this and that and you know you know it just it like uh people yeah i know and you can tell that that was just their plan because yeah. they, they had to have thought of this ahead of time. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to take all this stuff up there. and Oh, that's too heavy to carry back. 
Yeah, I find old TVs, refrigerators. Oh, oh, Rabbit Road used to see all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all tractors and all sorts of. Oh, I hope I hope Columbia Land Trust gets a hold of that. that, that they they have it. Oh, really? Yeah, they got that about ten years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, why don't they get all that junk out of there? Because <laughs> they can't access it. Ah, uh, yeah. And they're, they're all trailers back there. Yeah. And spooky. I, I, that makes you think there's a tweaker around the, every corner. <sighs> It's too much work to get back there for it to be. Do you ever have any issue with uh, people invading your private property out there in Ocean Park? Um, no. There's a string of robberies. I know, and they were north of us. They uh, and I know I had friends that were robbed, and there I would be scared too. And I've thought about putting up signs, you know, this property protected by a pit bull or Smith and Wesson, but I thought, no, that's just so anachronistic. I wouldn't. I mean, it's like. But if that if it works, but no, I'm not going to do that. I'm sure the attack dogs will be good enough. They should be, yeah. Uh, you're probably in an area that's it's subject to. I've had people uh, siphon my gas. Oh, really? That sucks. Oh, my gosh. But um, that's it. Not, nothing else. Yeah. I mean, we've been fortunate. I've been thinking of starting a neighborhood watch, but I don't even know some of my neighbors. And it's sort of, well, a lot of them are new. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Neighborhood watch might be good. You could do it through Facebook. It'd be easy. Um, not if everyone's over 80. Well, is everyone over 80 in your neighborhood? Uh, close. Well, or over 70. You don't really have much of a neighborhood, really. It's no. pretty spread out. It's Yeah. But, I mean, there's some there's neighbors, but they're yeah. not, not like Chinook. No, Chinook's pretty tight. I can see people from every direction right, right, when right. I look out my windows. Um, so are you going to uh, affect change? With your podcast, how are, how are you going to do that? What's your I plan? I'd love to. How, I'd love to. How, how, you must have some sort of goal in mind. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to build an audience so that I, when an opportunity arises to do something good, I can use it. That is actually my plan. In okay. General. How do how do I support your podcast? What's the you have a Patreon? Right is there a Patreon? Uh, what what um, I really advertise yourself, Jeff. I have been struggling with that issue. Uh-huh. So it, this podcast costs not a lot of money, right. and I can afford that, and it's fun, and it's been really good for my mental health. Okay, it's it's just been a really great outlet for me. I need something creative to yeah. do, or I'll go crazy. Uh-huh. And this is it. So I, I'm benefiting from it. So it's worth the money. That being said, it does take a lot of time away from my family. Mm-hmm. So that part, I do feel like I almost owe it to them to to have it generate enough money to pay for itself, at least. So mm-hmm. that I'm not taking money away from my family. Mm-hmm. But for now, I'm just trying not to put too much pressure on myself to make it a certain thing. You should have some sort of uh, way that people could support it. I know. I, I've been meaning to do it for, for a long time, but it just seems so like, ooh, needy, give me. I, I just wanted it to, I don't want it to seem like a, to seem sleazy, honestly. I just wanted, I want to build the audience first. And also, I was learning how to do this. I didn't know how to do this a year ago. So one, I figured once I acquire some skills, establish an audience, create a product worth paying for, then I'll, then I'll start Oh, it's worth paying for. I think you have enough uh, followers that they should all put in. Ten bucks a month to three ninety nine. All right, and we mail that to. <laughs> It'll just be deducted right from your debt. <laughs> okay, enough promotion here. <laughs> ah, yeah, rubber hits the road. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, Apple Podcasts does offer that service, so uh-huh. that I can give them thirty percent of the profits. Oh, and then they they'll promote the show. One of my daughters wanted to start start a podcast, and and I, and I mean they're planning to and. 
I said, well, how are you going to make money? And they, well, they, you can do it. It's, you know, if you can uh, get enough supporters and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, right now it's still in the early stages as a new medium. It's a new form of communication. Yeah. And it's something a lot more people will do because it's just like you're creating a time capsule of your thoughts. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. That's another reason I'm doing it is because I want to remember who I was uh, in my uh, 30s. Oh. Because I barely remember who I was in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just... Well, memory is, is uh, yeah, interesting. I, I was having a hard time feeling like I was connected to the world because all the, the main form of communication had become Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, these short bits oh. of, of communication that I just don't communicate well. Which in. is and it's such a false sense of communication. Yeah. And, uh, you can't the, capture nuance. Right, right. And you can't capture, I guess, terms of endearment and friendship and so forth. I don't know if you're familiar with the Harvard Longevity Study. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, where they basically studied these graduates or people enrolling in Harvard uh, over 90 years or whatever it was. And what who lived the longest? It's people that had good friends. The longest friendships make the longest telomeres. Yeah, yeah. That's the coolest study ever. And yeah. so... Uh, I bet the Blue Zone study has components of that as well. Yeah, but, you know, the friendship, and that's interesting... But uh, for, uh, you know, for men, mm -hmm. it's very hard to do and have good, close friendships and that are not just sort of this superficial, macho-macho uh, type of thing that, you I know. I hate that stuff. Well, I mean, it's still fun, but. It can be in very limited doses. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I, I'm, so I'm almost, I'm envious at, at your skill set to sort of weave that through your podcast and that's that's uh, that's a that's precious thank you it's it's been a learning experience yeah, for yeah, sure yeah. speaking of that machismo stuff you yeah. still whacking the pickleball pretty hard i've heard <laughs> you know i i'd hoped i could become a professional pickleball player when There's i retired uh but i've got this uh, tendonitis and and uh that just does not heal and so yeah. i have to play elbow. yeah i have to play left-handed which is really hard because it's hard to coordinate, you know, without your with, and so it's like uh, just uh, so I can't be competitive anymore. And so I did get um, uh, platelet uh, stem uh, PRP, really, in, really in, rich yeah, plasma, yeah, injection. Uh, How does that work? They basically take a couple of pints of your blood, they spin it down, they get the the, the section with the platelet rich, and then they inject it into your elbow. And the doctor, this was done, uh, there's several places that do it, but this was done at Rebound. And they say, well, this is going to be pyroclastically painful. And um, it is, but it's only 10 minutes worth. Pyroclastically painful. Pyro, like fire. Fire, like, 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 fire. like, like, it's going to hurt like hell. Like a volcano. Yeah, it's like, this is going to hurt like hell. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, this was is what like. What kind of an injection did they do? Just, they just, you know, they just get in there and they. In, intramuscular? It's actually in right in, right in the near and around, the, surrounding the tendon. And, and oh, so it's a. Tender spot. It's tender spot. And they put a lot of stuff in there. But, and so it's tender for probably. Oh, two months afterwards until it starts the healing process. And it takes a long time. It's not like a cortisone injection where you feel better right afterwards. This is like uh, that plus a lot of physical therapy and rest and not using it. You know, it starts the healing process and so, rebuilding the collagen and so forth. Okay. Is that the philosophy there? It's like yeah. you're you basically um, jump-starting the healing process yeah, you're basically with just your own system. Right. And uh, 
It's kind of cool, and it's pretty new, and insurance doesn't cover it. But so you're just saying, well, I hope this works. But otherwise, I'm out a thousand bucks. But that's fine. And they do the same thing with like the exosomes, yeah, and stem cells, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, th- this is, and uh, he was saying, well, we, uh, uh, you can use the fat out of your back is really very effective. Ooh. And that's what there was a use for these love handles. Yeah, exactly. And, and because they're really mitochondria rich and, and so forth, and they spin them down. I don't. He says that, but that's a little more expensive, and it's they use it for different parts of your body. And I mean, there's it's a new, it's pretty cool science, and it's I just I think that stuff is so cool. Okay, so speaking of mitochondria, yeah, do you think mitochondria are tiny aliens or anything like that? Because I heard this uh-huh. theory. So mitochondria, for those of you who don't know, they're the energy producing organelle within each cell of your body. Uh, they make ATP, adenosine triphosphate, and that's what your cells burn for action potentials when they're not burning ketones if you're keto. But the uh, I've heard this theory that they are so different from everything else within the cell that there's a good chance that we symbiotically agreed to have this relationship with, with some kind of bacteria uh-huh. or something in, through the evolutionary chain. And it really works well. It's a great system. W- what do you think about any of that weird science stuff? Um, I, I would be s- suspicious of, of that. But well, I would then, hope so. Uh, uh, I, I mean, that's uh, as skeptical. But, uh, you know, I guess the... Um, the microchip that was implanted in me when I took my vaccine, that might help yeah. me figure this out. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got that. Yeah, it's like mine was the special one. <laughs> I got that. Uh, what was that? The Sorry, the clots make it hard to think. The Johnson & Johnson. Oh, yeah. No, um, so We got the Moderna, which is actually supposed to have higher uh, uh, resistance against the Delta virus and Johnson mm. Johnson. But, you know. That's uh, cool. So we'll see. Yeah. I think, I, I think our, it's fascinating, the whole people's reaction to this stuff it's it's just fear it's it's just it's just the human psyche is such an odd fragile fragile and and there people's i guess it's always risk risk perception is it's a fascinating study oh it's been totally fucked by the internet oh yeah and you used to be able to see all the dangers in the world you just had to worry about what was in your house. But even but even a human is not that good at risk perception. I mean, mm-hmm. we we have no real idea of the real risk, and, and we just cannot evaluate it very well. If we did, we would be collapsed in a heap because <laughs> it's so high. Yeah. The probability of us existing, period, yeah, yeah. is just off the charts. Yeah. It's really bizarre that we're here. But, um, Those thoughts freak people out. <laughs> yeah, but that's good. I think it's good. I want people to think... For themselves, I, I, that's why I try really hard not to just force my opinions on people. Well, but we are the Richard Feynman, the great physicists. You know, we're the easiest people to be fooled. It's easy to fool ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't trust myself. I because I'm, I'm very skeptical because I can easily fool myself in, in sort of this uh, confirmation bias and all sorts of stuff. It's anybody who doesn't consider that when they're making decisions or having a discussion is a lost cause Yeah, because we are all so susceptible to these thought loops and and just manipulation of your own self by lower parts of yourself. And you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. No, one of my favorite podcasts is you're not so smart. Mm. And it just goes through all these sort of um, fallacies of, of, of uh, thinking and that we are so subject to that. uh, Wow. We really aren't that smart. No, 
We're, we're like big squishy computers. And, you know, just a lot of variables. And doing, you know, as a scientist, you're trying to, okay, here's my hypothesis. And am I going to prove it or not prove it? And you're trying to remain open and objective on uh, whatever you're doing. And it's really, you know, you have to step, learn to step back and say, well, it is what it is. You know, it's, it's, I'm just, I do the work and you find out whatever and not uh, try to be connected to the end. That is tough. Yeah. Because that's, we narrativize everything. That's probably what the scientist's biggest job is, is to step aside from his own humanity and try to just be an objective observer of some phenomena. But if you're dealing with stuff that you're emotionally attached to, let's say ecology of the bay or whatever. Your home. Your, your home. It's, it's, it's a little more tricky. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, you really want stuff to be true. You really want this hypothesis of <clears throat> whatever it is to sort of... Um, bear fruition but often cases it's not yeah because if it doesn't the consequence could be bad and well and the system is there's a water down there for you oh oh yeah and the system is so noisy Mm -hmm. oh my gosh you know it's just the variability is just so noisy yeah that loops back around to what we were talking about with the climate change problem it's such a big problem with so many different factors and influences that you can't be an expert on all the different things so it it is crucial that a group of people figure out a solution or yeah. even cl- like define the problem because yeah. it's it, that hasn't even really been done correctly. I think there was something I was just listening today, whether it was NPR or whatever, where there, I think it was this NPR where they were the new type of science and I think they're using uh, machine learning where you can take an individual event of weather and link it back to climate change and now we've got the models to make that a lot more effective which is hey, that's pretty cool. That of, is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, the computing power that's going to come as stuff gets even better, especially when quantum computers are a factor. Yeah. We're going to learn some interesting th- things about patterns. Yeah, well, and you guys are so lucky because you grew up with computers, and you know we were still doing it with a slide ruler when I was going to college. Mm-hmm. And so you were still doing your, your advanced statistics with a slide ruler, and that's all you were allowed to take into exams was a slide ruler. And oh, my gosh, I... How That's we do that? pretty hard. I, I don't even know how to use a slide ruler. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I could remember how to do any of that anymore with a slide ruler, but that was... What do you use for statistics, or what did you use before you retired? Was oh, well, Excel? you know, I was... Or SPSS? I was born and raised on, on SAS, and that was in the... Where you had to put in cards, and you just did cards, and you typed out your cards, and you ran it through the big machines, and then uh, it became a lot more friendly on PCs. But then I did SPSS, but uh, but there are a lot of uh, there's so many systems out there. I did a lot of sig- sigma plot and Excel and other stuff, but it's there's so many options. There's so, and now it's you can use R and What's that? R is a um, free uh, freeware and basically sort of this developed by just a bunch of statisticians but it's all sort of uh, relatively easy programming to do uh, just using sort of stuff online is free but it's one of these things and it's like a foreign language unless you kind of learned it from <laughs> it's yeah. not it's not something for someone who's is a hobbyist statistician. But if you wanted to really complicate stuff, we did it. We published a paper it was a couple of years ago in a top-tier journal, and I had to call in some expert statisticians from WSU Vancouver, and we had to hire her to do all the statistics for us mm-hmm. because it's just messy where you're trying to 
see that there's a change in population of a particular species over time as a function of uh, what happens in the control versus the treatment and you know and yeah. it's it's and there's uh, all the different kinds of tests and and different correlation uh, yeah metrics and it's, and it's like I don't even know what the half of the words that we used mean <laughs> I was like, okay. I was the one thing that, you know, I took a year of, of graduate level stats and I probably could have used four more years because it's the one thing you'd use almost every day. And it's, uh, it's one thing that we should probably be teaching in schools more than anything else it would help people understand the news and it would the pro you know just probabilities and all that kind of stuff we don't teach kids to understand i mean we not to say that geometry and calculus are waste but we should probably no, be, great stuff we but... should probably be learning statistics first because it's probably the most important thing anyone could do it's tied right in with quantum mechanics yeah you can think about it. that's how the world and our universe is structured yeah through, yeah it's probabilistic well, and and uh, yeah, I go back to COVID, and it's it's probabilistic, and just the quantum, you know, the change in quantum energy with is just the shift, and I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff there that way above my head, but it's me too. But I I like to flounder in it, yeah. and see if I can <laughs> at least understand any of it. I, I read a couple books on quantum theory and um, string theory. Oh yeah, string theory. Yeah, yeah. Just because they're pretty. Intimately yeah, tied yeah, together. Yeah. No, and, it's like and, uh, um, talked a lot about like quantum gravity and that I couldn't get, um, but it took me a long time just to get any, even just grasp any concept whatsoever out of either of those. But I think I get it. I think I get string theory to for I mean for the most part, it's just the smallest unit that we know of. Well, what's the saying about quantum mechanics? If if someone thinks they understand it, they don't understand it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I understand it as what it um, is trying to describe. I, like, yeah, it took yeah. me literally years to even understand what are they even talking about. Well, yeah. I, I just couldn't even conceptualize what they were trying to describe. I, yeah. Well, now that you're in that wormhole, one part of you understands it. Yeah, the exactly. other one, the other parts. Yeah, don't. the the vein through the multiverse <laughs> yeah. that decided to follow that all the way through. Now he's a doctor in it somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> the other guy. Yeah, yeah. No, not me. Yeah, the, he didn't have time to start a podcast. No, because he was chasing Schroeder's cat. Schrodinger's cat. In quantum mechanics, Schrodinger's cat is a thought experiment that illustrates a paradox of quantum superposition. Many of the concepts related to quantum mechanics do not fit what we are used to in terms of the laws of physics. And so thought experiments can be really helpful in helping to contextualize these kind of abstract, kind of far out there concepts. So in quantum mechanics, there's this idea of the wave function, which means when it is not being observed by consciousness, an electron traveling around a nucleus is in the form of a wave. And once an observer takes a look at it, it becomes one point on that wave, which basically just means that before it's being observed, an electron does not technically have a location. And once it's being observed, it does. It has a location in three dimensions and you can write it down like it has a specific place. The electron essentially exists in a state of possibility until it is forced to make a decision I guess that sounds weird to talk about electrons making decisions, but until it is forced to be either here or there, it, it has to be something. And until it has to be something, it's everything and nothing simultaneously. And that sounds like 
magic or just weirdness, but you kind of have to just suspend disbelief to be able to understand this at all. So bear with me. In the thought experiment, a hypothetical cat may be considered simultaneously both alive and dead as a result of its fate being linked to a random subatomic event that may or may not occur. Yeah, that doesn't sound very straightforward, does it? This thought experiment was devised by physicist Erwin Schrödinger in 1935 during a discussion with Albert Einstein to illustrate what Schrödinger saw as the problems of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics, particularly in situations involving the measurement problem. The problem being that if observation is what obligates an electron into a certain form, then how are we ever supposed to measure it because the actual observation of it is affecting the behavior. And how could something ever be measured if it's not being observed? That's just not possible. This is called the observer effect, and it also is very common in psychological research because, as you know, anytime you are aware that you're being watched and monitored, suddenly your behavior becomes very different. And as strange as that sounds, it applies to these little electrons too. Picture a cat a flask of poison, and a radioactive source in a box that is sealed. If an internal monitor, like a Geiger counter, detects radioactivity, i.e. a single atom decaying, the flask is shattered immediately, releasing the poison, which would kill the cat. So the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics implies that after a while, the cat is simultaneously alive and dead. Yet, when one looks in the box, one sees that the cat is either alive or dead, not both alive and dead. This poses the question of when exactly quantum superposition ends and reality resolves into one possibility or the other. If a cat in the closed box is simultaneously alive and dead, it's in a state of superposition. And when you open the box and look in, regardless of what you see, your observation is what forced that to crystallize into reality. And that reality didn't crystallize until the observer was there to see it. So in a way, if you open that box and see your cat is in there dead, you killed that cat with your observation. Does that make sense? It's like if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, did it make a sound? No, it didn't even exist. It, it was simultaneously everywhere and nowhere at the same time. We are building our own reality, people. This sounds crazy, right? Like, obviously, a cat cannot be alive and dead at the same time. But again, this is theoretical quantum mechanics and not reality per se. So the idea is just to, it's to point out some of the illogic parts of quantum theory that we have to grapple with. It seems like the whole point of this thought experiment is just to kind of illustrate the fact that we are operating with the assumption that quantum mechanics is the structure of our universe and of our reality. But at the same time, for that to be true, we have to be able to accept that there can be a dead slash alive cat in a box with radioactive plutonium and a Geiger counter. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Anyway, back to the show. Yep, yep. I use that one sometimes. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, just don't check the email. <laughs> Once you open it, it's too late. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you have a sort of a, a diverse interest outside your, your job. Does that keep you going? It does. 
I mean, does. from quantum mechanics to mushrooms to uh, raising a family to all these great things. What what gives you brings you the most joy in life? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm um, sorry to change. I switched no, through. that's that's fantastic. I, I I like that topic. Happiness is really a good thing. <laughs> um, I think probably my family. I know it's a cliche answer, but. Um, hanging out with my family yeah. when no nobody's bickering at each other and everybody's just you know those special moments when you just you have everyone together and uh, yeah. you just you, like you recognize the importance of the moment you're just like these are so fleeting this is going to be gone before i know it i gotta just like make a memory i gotta snapshot this so i don't forget yeah. the way this feels because i'll miss it i already miss it in the future in the multiverse well i mean every moment should be like that i mean it, where yeah. you appreciate every moment i mean that's i think ultimately where we need to be where but some of them you have to appreciate for the effect they'll have in your life because they suck in the moment like, <laughs> this is very uncomfortable i appreciate that someday it's oh, going to benefit me but right now i'm uncomfortable um but that's just uh accepted and you part of the course and you grow from it and uh, so uh, do you have a high set point or low set point for happiness you think you're usually pretty up on the i feel like i try way too hard to keep it high okay um, like and when I run out of energy to do that, I crash and get depressed. Okay. Because some of your family members were kind of prone to depression. I am Are very you? prone yeah. to depression. I actually just kind of came out of a like three-week depression. I, I feel fine again now, and so it's weird to even think about it because it, it, I'm not in that place. Uh -huh. But it's just like the floor just drops out, and uh -huh. all of a sudden I don't see any meaning in anything I'm doing. Huh. And um, I have zero... It's like there's no fuel in my tank. But I, I had two podcasts that the guest was here, and I just had to stop. I was just like, I, oh, really? Wow. I, let's just call it. Huh. <laughs> Couldn't do it. I just, yeah. But and then it just, I took care of things that I needed to take care of, like my sleep, uh -huh, uh -huh. nutrition, staying hydrated, connecting with people who uh -huh, love me, uh -huh, uh -huh. and then took a couple of days, and I felt better, and uh -huh. now I'm fine again. But. Those things are very important for me. Yeah. If I let my impulses just run away with me and I spend 12 hours a day working uh, just because I really want to get something done uh, and I don't eat or I just stay up all night because I'm having anxiety or something, uh -huh. then I get depressed. But if I'm on top of stuff and I meditate and I use the sauna and I work out and uh -huh. I eat vegetables, I'm nice to my kids and my wife and I call my mother, then oh, I feel pretty damn good. I remember you used to be kind of an anxious teenager. I've always been. Yeah. yeah. Well, your your sister was also. Mm -hmm. And your brother, he's such a hoot. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty anxious, too. Yeah. You ever deal with anything like that? I am I was blessed with just sort of this high set point, and it just stays there. You have a smoothness about and it. And it's like, I no matter what happens, it's like, whatever. You know, I can just let it go. It's this impermanence, non-attachment, and I... But then I haven't necessarily dealt with things that would blow people apart, you know, or, you know, death of a family member or something like that. I mean, there are things, you know, you get depressed and I, I, I can cry at a drop of a hat. But it, I think that those are sort of impermanence. And, and, uh, but I, 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 I just don't I have a hard time relating or, or sort of uh, to people that are sort of this waves of depression and and these uh it's it's like 
I don't, because that's not who I am, and so mm-hmm. it's hard to sort of cycle with that. Um, My wife is that way. Oh, She's very steady, oh, okay. and it's it's such a great compliment yeah. to a not like me. Well, my wife is more like you in that regards, and so mm-hmm. you kind of, I mean, you balance each other She's out. She's an artist, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of artists yeah. are very up and down. Yeah, but it's, a lot of it is in the summer. She's always up, and in the winter, it's like always down. It's yeah. that, that light thing, and it's seasonal affect yeah, of this word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe if it's I don't know what the DSM says these days. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, but it, would, it there's that's definitely something to that for sure. Yeah, sun is like medicine. It's like food. You really need it as much as you need food. What's the? I can't remember the receptor in your eyes called, but uh, that early exposure to that every day. Um, I, I was just thinking about that the other day for all the babies that didn't go outside in 2020. Oh, yeah. Like, couldn't be good. I no, I, I try to get exposure every day. Mm-hmm. Lots, lots. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a limit, but I, I, I get as much sun as possible. I'm just naturally so fair-skinned that if I don't, I'm just like a ghost. And, well. it, and it's, yeah, not, I mean, aesthetically, it's not great, but... I feel better when I have a little bit of tan. Little no, sun on I don't me. want the tan. I just want. I just need sun. Mm-hmm. I, I, I coat myself. So I feel white and, and zinc oxide. But oh yeah, you use the good stuff. I had so many sin cancers that it's oh. you don't you don't mess around. Man, from the every form I've had, I'm missing really? my ear, missing most of my nose. Wow. I have some of my neck growing on my nose. So how often do you have to go get checked? I do it th- three times a year. Mm-hmm. And they're always burning off stuff, and they haven't found anything for a while. But boy, I, you know, they, I make it a habit of always looking at people and saying, "Jeff, have you had that little piece there below your eye checked? That looks like a, a squamous cell." And I have saved two people's lives that way. Really? Yeah. They That's said awesome. they come back and said that was melanoma. The doctor said if you would have waited another month, I would have been dead. And wow. so they took out most of their arm or their head or whatever. And it was like, so I do it as a habit, just looking at people's, uh, and most Before of the time. Before you leave, I'll pop the shirt off and have you take a uh, look at right. the moles. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> like, I know what they look like because I've seen them on my face. Like, I'm a very moly guy. Really? Yeah. When was the last time you were a dermatologist? I've never been to a dermatologist. Oh, my gosh. And I, like, I have adult acne. I, I should oh, go to a dermatologist. You, yeah, you should. Uh, uh, lately, I've actually really been wanting to because it's, uh, I, I ordered a food sensitivity test today because I've been oh. itchy like crazy. Oh. And I don't want to take any histamines. Oh, I just, uh. I don't really want to take anything on a regular basis. But, um, yeah, I just like to decide what I'm eat, figure out if it's what I'm eating. So you were a pimple-faced kid. So bad. Oh, but you were. So bad. But you were the, the, the stud muffin in high school. You remember a different, different kid. <laughs> well, you were the football captain. I know that. I was. I was a natural-born leader. But they didn't care about my zits. <laughs> <laughs> I was a decent football player. Yeah. Well, so I, was your brother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was better than me. Yeah, he was. He's, he's, little, he's more athletic. Yeah. He's, he's a little tougher. bigger and bigger yeah. and tougher. And... But um, also, he's coordinated, really coordinated. Uh-huh. Like, he could throw a football like crazy. Uh-huh. And I, I just... He could have really been, could. yeah, NFL yeah, he's he's honestly in another world, another universe. He probably was. <laughs> I love you, Jake. <laughs> yeah, me too. He's doing great. It's good to see. Yeah. Yeah, they're having another baby. Oh, really? That's yeah. cool. That's number two, right? Uh, yep. And Tasha has three now. Three. Oh, good for her. Her third one is the happiest child I've ever met in my life. Oh, cool. Never, never cries. Just like smiling, just like chilling, happy to be around. I never met a Nesbitt that wasn't. That's that's a blessing. Um. Well, let's see. We have about ten minutes left. Okay. Is there anything you wanted to hit before before we forget? Um. So you think. Uh, 
You think you're safe spraying glyphosate? Oh, that's exactly where I was going to go. <laughs> um, safe? Yes, I do, because I'm very careful. Okay. But if I was using it, using it as sunscreen, I wouldn't feel safe. Um, if I was, you know, not reading the label and putting it places it didn't belong, I wouldn't feel safe. It's a chemical. It's it's not meant to it's not meant to just be played with. So, yeah, I do feel safe, but I would rather limit my exposure as much as possible. What about the exposure that you had as a younger man yeah. working for the refuge? I think about that a lot. Uh, we just didn't know. Yeah. And we were actually told mm -hmm. by Monsanto that it was much safer than I think it was known to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were telling everybody yeah. was, you could drink it. I like to have a glass with dinner. But, yeah, no, I used to get that stuff all over me, and I haven't for years. It's been 10 years probably since I've had more than a minor exposure, and I'm pretty careful about that. I just, you know. Okay, I, you don't I, have automatic. Uh... I built one. Okay. Uh, but it exploded, so I don't use it. Do you, what about? I've done a lot of research on the chemicals that I use. Yeah. To the best of my ability, I'm, I'm doing it the safest way possible. Yeah. Okay. And the most cost-effective way possible. Yeah. Um, and I figured it out, but okay. it took some doing. Yeah, no, I mean that's a, there's a lot to I mean a lot to learn in that job, and mm -hmm. it's it's uh, I was I am so uh, shocked that I survived those years without having a heart attack. Oh really? I it's a stressful job. My heart rate would be jacked for twelve hours. Oh, I'd spray really? all day, and oh, it would just be like one hundred and eighty all day. So you can do it calmly now. Yeah, and you. Stick in your earbuds and you just spray. I'm much, much better at it. <laughs> the, the, the equipment's better. Yeah, okay. I, I, I've trained for a lot yeah. longer, so. Um, yeah, but, um, I heard they have discontinued home and garden I, I glyphosate I just products, heard right? that recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just heard it this afternoon. Yeah, I heard that just uh, probably earlier this week or last week, yeah. Now, is that the active ingredient glyphosate or just Roundup? I have... Well, I would probably the Roundup because it's, you know, it's off-label. So other companies could sell it, but now Home Depot, that was just Home Depot, okay. I believe. So, or maybe one of the other, other big companies. So, and I don't know how much, like Ortho probably has a glyphosate and they might yeah, have. Yeah, would be gone. Or that's 240. Yeah, that's 240. But, but so they... Don't know. I I don't know that, and I I'm not. This is. We'll see what happens in that regard. You could probably still buy it at Dennis Company. Yeah. Uh, for the probably foreseeable future. I don't know that, and you know this whole thing about the ecotoxicology, and you know it's a complicated stuff, and you don't really you know you're looking at acute versus chronic versus defect on the gut biome which we don't even study versus all that's these things that's the thing i can i'm the most concerned yeah because it's uh, those are interesting yeah that's not something that we know enough about and how is it affecting you know proteinomics and the metanomics and all these other things that um have you always been big into fermented foods uh yeah 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 we've been i'm um I love making fermented foods. I wish I was a little more skillful. I don't do the alcohol ones as much. You know, I mean, the kombucha is probably as alcoholic as I can get, but the uh, the sauerkrauts and the, the made some. I was going to bring you some kimchi, but I forgot. Oh, but, that's my favorite. That there's a huge correlation with that a healthy gut biome yeah, yeah. And, and steady mental health. Yeah, yeah, Maybe that has yeah. has something. I to would do try. With I it. try basically. I eat 
for my gut, mm-hmm. but my gut biome. You know, you try, your gut eats for you. Because I try to do, you know, as as much fiber and sort of uh, the right fibers that uh, I have no, you know. Some We're just learning that stuff, and yeah. it, it sounds good, and it could, you know, it's, but how much is real? How much is, you know, I just want it to be true. Yeah. And it seems uh, like there's a lot more biodiversity and individual difference between yeah. two people, like yeah, in yeah. the same areas. But it's, I mean, but they're showing that, yeah, you know, it's, it, you can certainly change it, but it, there, it has its own, you know, um, steady state. And so it may go up or down and you come back to a steady state with your own individual floras and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So it's everything finds balance and it's fascinating. Have you stuff. seen those, uh, fecal transplants they do? Yeah. yeah. The gut biome. Oh yeah. 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 We were, when my wife was really sick, that was one of the options of, you know, well, let's consider a fecal transplant. They really well. Yeah. I've, um, it's I mean, it's not ex- it's hard to be you know for for certain diseases yeah yeah you see different I mean just for people who have gut problems yeah 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 them. yeah uh, but I don't, not, re- I don't recommend it for I mean it's not something you, sh- you should be doing it at home but I think uh, <laughs> it's I I do know that and at one point I was considering getting my you know my gut DNA uh, analyzed to see what's there and mm-hmm. see if I'm the colony yes yeah, see, see, yeah see what uh but you know they're they're they don't know enough about it yet to make any inferences on that uh, yeah it's just be data but it's uh i've always oh, have you done 23 and me i or? did 23 and me when it first came out how is it did you find it exciting i think it's fascinating it's amazing i think it's amazing and just because you like you learn so much about yourself and you know, I, I kind of knew my, you know, where we came from, all that kind of stuff. But it's like some of your, oh, I've got, um, and then I did it because I wanted to know if I should retire early. Because I knew if I was going to, you know, I, if I had the APOE4 on uh, a double chromosome for that, I'm going to retire. So mm-hmm. I can, res- you know, uh, I'm going to retire that, early. What that one well, that's, if you've got a double chromosome for that, then you're going to have Alzheimer's uh, pretty, pretty strong. Uh, or the Parkinson is another one. If you're going to have some of these things, why work until you can no longer you know, function? Let's just yeah. retire and enjoy your life. So I wanted to know that. So I did it about I don't know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever it was. What a great company! They've got they improve their program. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Do you and get updates? I do get updates, but I since I was so early that there's still a lot of the of the. Uh, things that they test for that they didn't test for back then mm-hmm. and but yeah and i always fill out their surveys that they ask me too and it's like oh they you're, tell you how like yeah i want one, one of the like the 99th percentile of oh, i'm like 87 oh i'm kicking your butt on that yeah. one <laughs> i'm not retired yeah that's I true time to answer these questions yeah i mean and they're kind of like uh what was the last one i don't know what it was but it was there it's fascinating repetitive stuff but i i love statistics so yeah. i like i i like to see how and you know there it is you know, they're selling you that, they're selling that information to chemical companies and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah. somebody's getting, making money off of you. They got to make a buck. But that's, you know, that's okay, I suppose. I do think it's okay because it's progressing our species yeah. and our yeah. knowledge of what we know and what we can do. Yeah, I don't, I guess I'm not problem, I'm, I'm not troubled by that. There's no other way to get to X-Men. I mean, we're not going <laughs> to get superpowers without that. So. Well, unless that. you're a Nesbitt. Sure. Superpower of not being able to control when you cry. (laughs) You know, it's all right. Um, But there, I think there is. um, Well, then, just sort of what? uh, What's do we have free will? 
Oh, we we're gonna have to start a whole nother podcast yeah, for that, that one. That's that's the. Yeah, that's I love that conversation topic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so much to that. Yeah, but yes, you gave me going right already. At I'm all levels. I'm just hooking you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's a good one because we are just like. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> oh gosh, it, I threw weird. out the hook. You didn't take it, Jeff. Damn it! <laughs> You'll be here till eight o'clock. There's just no way. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's again. an it's an it's honor. Uh, I've it's been a pleasure, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, you and your family tremendously. And uh, you've had an overwhelmingly positive impact on all of us. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm my my life has not been wasted. Far from it. <laughs> all right. Any closing words? Um, be kind. That's a good one. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ramble by the River with your host, Jeff Nesbitt. If you want to support the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash ramblebytheriver, and they'll let you subscribe right there. Thanks a lot, guys. See you next week. It's time to say it with your chest now. Say it with your chest now.